Welcome into the Dubcast. Gosh, it's like the guy behind the guy the week before the week, right? Before game week. <laughs> Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter here. Uh, brought to you, of course, by the Dry Goods Shop at 11 Warriors. All sorts of good gear there. I am told that more will be coming by the czar. The czar yeah. tells me more gear is coming uh, that for, for, the, for the kids to get excited about. Um, I think we've already got some of the best stuff out there. Um, I think like an example would be like if you wear that Sherman shirt into <laughs> Norman, that's a win, right? I mean, it, it's below I, yeah, the major that we have on. a we have a number of troll readers from the South who I know are very, very attached to that shirt for many reasons, obviously. But yeah, yeah I think that's a good one to bring into Norman. Yeah, I'd roll that one into Norman. Um, I would roll that one into my house in Hudson if the czar would send it to me. He owes me some swag, probably. <laughs> I'm going to keep, keep mentioning this until he actually gets me some. Um, so I, I'd like to see some, too, at some point. I think that would be nice. Um, but, but, but do check it out, and there will be a lot of coolest stuff coming. Uh, buddy, you know, when it's, when it's the week before the week, uh, you know, you're done with camp. They had the press conferences on Monday with Urban talking about camp. We alluded to this last week on the on the show about how Urban is so outward with his um, comparisons to the 2014 team, which is a little terrifying maybe to some, but to me gives me a lot of confidence. But yeah. I started to think a little bit about things, and what I kind of settled on was this notion of a coaching career has, let's say it has three acts, and you know the first act, the second act, and then the closing. And I feel like Urban Meyer this season is starting his second act as the head coach at Ohio State. And the first act was off the charts, 12 and 0, 12 and 2, 14 and 1 national title, 12 and 1. Um, and now we start this second act. And to get into that a little bit, I thought about his time at Florida. And his first act at Florida was 9 and 3, national title, 13 and 1 in year two, then 9 and 4, then 13 and 1, um, and, and another national title. And then they go 13 uh, 1 the next year, and then he's done the year after that. The 13 1 in his fifth year was when they lost to Alabama in the SEC title game and missed out on becoming a repeat national champion and uh, where the pressure got to him, which is very similar to what happened last year to Ohio State, I think, uh, with the team we saw last year trying to repeat. But I'm, I'm curious about this. I remember vividly, Johnny, when I was on radio in Columbus saying that I thought Urban Meyer had a seven year window to coach Ohio State. But I get the feeling that many, believe that his window is much bigger than that. And I'm not sure what it is. I think I will go over seven, but I do think that we are starting his second act as the head coach at Ohio State. Well, it's interesting. So they, he is definitely starting his second act as the head coach at Ohio State, in part because I think of the challenges that he's facing this time around. The, the, the challenges in terms of personnel replacement, in terms of coaching staff, uh, juggling those types of egos, I think this is a challenge that he has not yet had at Ohio State, or at least in this fashion. And so as far as Ohio State goes, yeah, this is a new phase of what he's doing. As far as his overall coaching career, I mean, this is like his third or fourth act, right? Like it's, it's, it, it this is, is probably odd. the final act. Yeah. And it's most of us would believe to... that this is the last stop. Right. And it's weird for me to think of that because the guy is still, you know, relatively young as a football coach, but he just is so intense and goes so hard at it that, I mean, I have people that I talk to, you know, like coworkers and friends, and they want to believe that this is going to last forever. They want to believe that the Urban <laughs> Meyer train is never going to stop running, that he's going to be here for another 25 years. You know, yeah. he's going to retire when he's 83, and everybody's right. going to, like, throw him a big old party and we'll win another national championship for the Gipper. Like, that's not how the story is going to end. And no, 
I want it to end well, right? I want him to be able to leave on his own terms. But man, you look at the past Ohio State head coaches. It's yeah. you know I'm I I had the little blurb written up for the the post here for the dubcast, and I'm like, it's like Harry Potter and the Defense Against Dark Arts professors, where nothing good happens to it. Like they always <laughs> like something bad at the end of their tenure ends up yeah. screwing it up. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen with Urban Meyer, but man, he's not going to be around for a huge amount of time uh, going in the future. And it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that kind of, I think, downward slope in terms of how much time he has left. All right, before I get to that, and there's a lot I want to get to on that, I have seen none of the Harry Potter stuff, so the (laughs) reference is lost on me. I haven't read the books, but I do have a a four-and-a-half-year-old. At what age can he watch that and it's okay? Well, I think, you know, I think you can start reading it to him maybe when he's like maybe five or six. I think. Okay, so I got to wait a couple years even for that. Yeah, yeah. I would say okay. a couple years until he gets into the actual reading stuff to watch the movies. I mean, the movies are pretty silly, the first couple of movies at least. Um, but that's the thing. You can let him grow along with the movies. You know what I mean? Like you maybe read yeah. him a book or two in the first couple. And then the older he gets, the more he'll appreciate the stuff that's in it. But okay. they get All some right. pretty weird, creepy stuff towards the end of it. And, yeah, I man. saw like one of the fines guys in makeup on something, and it just terrified me. <laughs> and I thought, well, my kid's not ready for that, I, I assure you. Um, as for, you know, we're not ready for urban to leave and he's not leaving anytime soon, but I do think it's, you know, when we, when we, if you think about what he learned at the time at Florida and we'll have Heath Klein on, he hosts a radio show down in Columbia and was in Florida when urban was there, was that in Gainesville, really one of the best minds when it comes to the South and the end of urban's tenure at Florida was an ugly, brutal affair. I mean, in every way it was sloppily handled from both sides. Uh, it ended so poorly. We benefited tremendously by that because the most beloved coach, right with Woody, I mean, Trestle was universally beloved when he was shown the door, universally beloved. And and we upgraded. Make no mistake, yeah. we upgraded. And that was unheard of, you know, at that time to think that we would go from Trestle and actually get a better coach. And we've done that. And so here we have this guy and it ended poorly for him at Florida. I don't, I think he learned a lot from that. I think he would admit that as much. I think he balances his life a lot better. I think, frankly, it's easier to win at Ohio State than it is at Florida because of the competition just isn't there. There aren't eight teams that you have to deal with over the course of a season. There's three or four usually. And in many before Harbaugh got to Michigan, many of the times you'd look at their schedule and go, well, if they beat Michigan State, pretty good chance. I mean, that's kind of what it came down to. Disrespect in Indiana, Illinois. God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, and he's, I, look, I, I am so in the bag for Urban. I think it's him and you know it's him and Saban. I'm not going out on a limb with that. They're the two best coaches, but he did benefit. He has benefited tremendously from oh, of the Penn State debacle, shame, the uh, and Michigan, Michigan being what Michigan was with Brady Hoke. Uh, you know this Tommy Boy led football program that was a, a shadow <laughs> of Big Tom Callahan's operation, and so now they've got. Now they've got Jim Harbaugh there, and it's now they're going to come a little bit. They're on the way, and that's good. It's good for the league. Um, but compared to what he was dealing with at Florida, with Saban on the scene and um, Auburn being what what they were about to be with, uh, I mean, I mean, Cam Newton was a guy he recruited. And he ends up at Auburn. I mean, that kind of tells you everything you need to know about what he was dealing with at the SEC at that time. So I think there's a lot of factors that make this better. I think the other thing about it is Columbus is a lot better city than Gainesville. I mean, Gainesville's a small town. They call it Hogtown. It's a small little town, and it's a tough place to, if you want to live your whole life, you can't disappear. Now, Urban can't disappear in Columbus, but he can do pretty close. I mean, it's a big city. There's a lot of yeah. restaurants. There's a lot of things to do. He's at a great country club that has gates, and you can't get through them. 
So he can live kind of his own private life there. And I don't know if he could do that in Gainesville to the same degree. The other factor is his son, Nate, is in high school at Watterson. And I think at the very least, you have Urban through Nate's tenure at Watterson. And if potentially Nate decides to play some sort of college athletic, whether it's baseball or football, and if he plays at Ohio State, then I think you got four more years. So, you know, I, I think we're I don't know that we're halfway done. And I don't know if I would have said that when he started, because when he started, I thought seven years was the over under. And I think we're going to get through that. I don't think we're, we're not going to get 15 years. So enjoy the hell out of this. Uh, I, mean, but, I, I see what you're saying with that. And and one thing that lends credence to that is the fact that he's definitely handling the stresses of the jobs, I think, better than he had in the past. And I'm saying he handles it well, because I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. But I do think that the the stuff that would just destroy him at Florida, you know, where, you know, you lose a close game that, that would might cost you the college football playoff. I don't know that he handles that as well as he does last year, you know, compared to you know, 10 years ago or whatever, because, and and again, those are the types of things that you need to be able to do to have a long career in this kind of business. And you, you look at a guy like Bob Stoops, right? <laughs> like a person who is renowned for his ability to balance that kind of stuff. And it's, it's interesting to see the mental makeup of guys who are that successful at that high level, because I honestly, like I've been watching, you know, Harbaugh, like, you know, it's he's like this exotic creature I've never seen before. Like I'm an 1890s Victorian era, like you know, gentleman, and I'm going to a zoo for the first time. I've never seen this creature. It's like a giraffe. I'm like what is this thing? Um, because he's insane. But you know, I don't know what the damn unicorn isn't he? That's a yeah. That's what I'm saying. Crazy. I don't know what he is, and, and so, but, but I don't know how sustainable. <laughs> being that kind of crazy is but it's it's still fascinating to watch like it's interesting that is that is the best analogy i've heard of jim harbaugh and i think it's um it's 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 frankly ruined my entire train of thought because it was so funny to imagine you like a victorian gentleman going to a zoo and viewing harbaugh bouncing around and trying to chew through why is is he drinking milk all the time makes no sense it's crazy. It's crazy. None of it makes sense. I mean, but he's there. He's their lunatic. And so, yeah. and frankly, I thank God we have him because it makes the whole league more interesting. Um, Absolutely. You know, the other thing about it is uh, that I think Urban has done here better than he did at Florida is at Ohio State, because they're, because you are, because the, the competition for recruiting in your area is not as fierce as it is down there. He has been able to take, by and large, better kids yeah, and kids who don't cause him headaches and kids who he doesn't have to throw off the team. There's been very little of that. I mean, there's it's, everybody's going to have some, you got 85 kids, you know, bad things are going to happen, but not to the extent that he had to deal with it at Florida at Florida. In some of those schools, you have to take chances on kids because if you don't Florida state will Um, at Ohio state, if, if a kid doesn't seem to jive with what you're trying to do, you can move along. And, and the odds are that he's not going to hurt you in your conference. He might end up at Tennessee or something like that, but he's not going to end up uh, at Penn state. So that, I think that's a big part of it as well. What he's done in recruiting with this, you know, two more five, another five-star and a four-star receiver this week, what he's doing in recruiting over the next couple of years is unbelievable to me. Yeah. Tremendous amount of credit goes to Mark Pantone, his ambassador of cool, as I call him. Um, you know, those guys are so – I've never seen – I mean, Saban recruits better than anybody. He's at the number one class is like a decade in a, in a you know, decade straight or whatever he has, as long as he's been at Alabama. 
But in terms of a northern school, we've I don't know if we've seen the likes of this consistently, like what they're doing in recruiting. And they've done oh. it now since Urban got there when he jumped on, you know, halfway more than, oh, God, 80% of the way through the recruiting process and ended up with a good class. Um, but he's doing it again. You see it in 17 and 18. I guess the point of all of this is I see no signs of a man slowing down. I see no signs of fatigue. I see no signs of the end is near. I remember at the end of the Trestle time before Tatgate, the, the conventional wisdom was that Jim Trestle would probably coach out Terrell Pryor would definitely coach up Terrell Pryor and then would be looking to, to probably move on that he, that he was going to go into administration at Ohio state, maybe become an AD or a president who knows. Um, but, but that, he, or that he was going to teach. I get no sense of that with urban that there, the end is near. I think he still has the competitive juices. I think he could get to a decade at Ohio state, which would be tremendous and more than I thought when he started. You know what's interesting? So I was it's interesting you make that comparison, especially with Terrell Pryor, because so I'm you know, I'm a high school teacher and I see kids in four year blocks. And you know, right. sometimes I'm like, you know, do I is this what I want to continue to do forever and ever and ever and ever? And then I'll have a class of kids where I'm like, I gotta see these guys graduate. Like I have to see them walk across the stage. And then I'll see another group of kids, I'm like, God, I gotta see these kids graduate. And it's interesting to me how attached sometimes you get to people that you help develop uh, skills in some way because you take ownership of that. And so, That's interesting. well, and, and so, uh, you know, I'll give Braxton Miller as an example. I can totally understand why a guy like Tom Herman or, or even or anybody would want to see that guy like just, I want to help him succeed. I want right. to help him develop. And I feel that I'm the best person for that to have that happen. And I think that's a big motivator for a lot of people, Just coaches, teachers, whoever, if you know that you are that much of an impact on someone's life positively, you don't want to exit that. And, you know, that's a big reason why I stick around where I'm at. And I know that's a big part of the reason why a lot of, you know, coaches continue to stay where they're at because they want to help those people develop. If you have an attachment to somebody, you don't want to leave them high and dry. I mean, granted, I don't make quite as much as Urban Meyer or quite as much as maybe offered to some coaches uh, to move along, but I, I can understand the the reasoning behind wanting to stay somewhere and help a guy out. Very few big time college football coaches get to leave on their own terms. The best. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the best to do it, you know, Bobby Bowden, I would put up there with anybody in terms of having to build a program from nothing and erect your set stadium into the best college <laughs> football program in the nineties. Uh, where they finished in the top four for 15 years in a row or some crazy numb stat like that. Um, you know, for him, and and he was forced out. He was shown the door. He yep. had a president who said, you're done, and he forced him to step down. Uh, you, we know what happened to Paterno. Tom Osborne left on his own accord. Uh, I would think that Nick Saban can leave on his own accord. When it's time for him to leave Alabama, he'll be able to leave the way he wants to. But you never know, and it's not easy. And that that, to me, you said that at the top as we kind of, you kind of wrap this this topic up is, um, you know, you hope he gets to leave on his own and in a good way and on a high note. And I, it seems in play halfway through as we start his second act, that seems very much in play to me. Yeah, well, I mean, again, hopefully that that ends up becoming true because it's been a long time since an Ohio State head coach was able to leave on their own terms. Paul and- Brown? Is that the last one? I don't even know widows i don't honestly it's it's before woody i mean and that's the thing that's what's crazy about it you've got to go back literally 60 70 years um so (laughs) which is like i don't know that i would be super hyped for a job where that's 
kind of the the job security, but you know that's that's the nature of the game, and and it'll be interesting to see uh, as Urban Meyer enters in this second part of his his uh, Ohio State coaching gig, um, maybe starts thinking about that a little bit and how he might want to make that transition. So as we were discussing Urban's second act, that leads us to a guy who is very familiar with Urban's second act at Florida, which was a very short act, as it turned out. And it's my good buddy, Heath Klein, at 107.5 The Game uh, in Columbia. Heath was a guy who I had on my show in Columbus often. I have him on my show in Cleveland. Uh, anytime we have a big SEC game, he is my South. He was my Southeastern Conference bureau chief, Johnny, but uh, he's really my <laughs> South bureau chief at this point. He's really covers the whole South for me. Nice. So. Heath, Heath I, welcome in. I was, I, we were talking about the second act, and there's just really no reason at this point for Buckeye fans to feel like this thing is anything other than going to be a very fruitful second act and a, and a very long tenure for Urban Meyer. As you go back to, you know, Urban's second act at Florida, if you define that by his, you know, the start of that being really his last two years, and you're going into that year unanimous number one. Tebow's back, repeat national championships. It all goes south in the in the SEC title game and so forth. We know the history. Then Urban's there one more year and it's done. Was there any sense going into his fifth year at Florida that the end was coming anytime soon? No, no, certainly not. That uh, that that was impending. I mean, the the almost retirement and then of course uh, changed his mind and and then a year later did decide to step away. I mean, that, that was total bolt out of the blue material when it happened. On the other hand, I mean, there was no question in 09 that the pressure of trying to repeat, because, again, they had Tebow. They still had a lot of the core of a successful team that just won a national championship. I mean, you could just tell. I mean, it, it was wearing on him. I mean, remember, too, that was the year that Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee, 09, and so you know, all that all that crap with him trying to start stuff was something that also seemed to to wear on Meyer a little bit. And so I, I don't think any of us had any idea how it was about to turn out, but you could definitely tell that 09 was not a year that he had had a whole lot of joy. And then, of course, they lose the SEC title game to, to keep them from having a chance to repeat. And that, that really was kind of the final straw, it seems. So one of the things that I've always thought about is a comment that Urban Meyer made with regards to recruiting in the SEC and how, you know, granted, the Big Ten is going to do a lot of things differently than the SEC, but it seemed like the recruiting aspect of it specifically really weared on him at Florida. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Maybe what might have made it so difficult for him uh, at that job? It's just so extraordinarily competitive in the SEC, and you've got people that, that literally want to recruit obsessively all day long. You've got people that, that no matter what you do, they're obsessed with more, more five stars and whatnot. And, you know, that, the thing that people forget is that last class, that 2009 near retirement going into 2010, you'd think, well, that's got to be a disaster for recruiting, right? I mean, the guy – flat out said, I'm about to leave. They then signed the number one class in 2010. In February 2010, they signed the number one class in the country. But the problem is you had those kids come in from the outside with this incredible sense of entitlement. And so you had this battle between these kids that felt like they basically were already national championship level players just by signing with Florida and showing up and older kids that we're like, you guys are nothing, you know, we've been here to actually do stuff. And so 
a big part of their issues somewhat in 09 and even more so in, in 10 was just that that entitlement mentality that had crept in with guys on that team. And that's something that uh, I, I think definitely was an issue for him dealing with recruits. I think you've seen him, even though he's signed a lot of high-end talent at Ohio State, you've seen him sign fewer guys that I think have a rep going in for being a high-maintenance guy. You know, if you sign Percy Harvin and he's a high-maintenance guy, that's one thing. You sign high-maintenance guys that, that aren't that level of elite difference maker, I don't think he wants to deal with it anymore. And down here, that's a reality a lot of the time that you're dealing with that kind of kid. That's a great point because, and I, I said that earlier in the show, Heath, and um, the, the time that I did spend in the South, the, the, the big issue there is if you don't take them, your rival will. And so you feel like this pressure to take these guys. The other difference in the SEC from the Big Ten is uh, the, the low-level teams in the SEC, they still can get five stars. I mean, South Carolina, historically, nice renaissance under Spurrier. Who knows what will happen with Muschamp, the program you cover on a regular basis, but historically has not been a great program at all. But when Spurrier gets there, they land five stars from time to time. More, You know, they've landed their share. Number one player in the country, clowning those guys. So, I mean, they can do that. You, you can do that at Auburn. You can do that at Arkansas. You can do that at Texas A&M. You can, I mean, you can't do that at, at Indiana. You're not going to do that at Illinois. You're not going to do that at Minnesota. There's really only like two or three programs in the Big Ten that can do that. And in the SEC, there's about eight that can land top ten classes. I mean, and, and those rankings, while frivolous maybe to some, they do count because most of the time – the four- and five-star guys do pan out. And if you get a lot of them, your chances of missing are, are much smaller. And, and I think all of that adds up to it. And it, it's interesting, the, the unraveling at Florida for me, because you covered a guy in Spurrier, um, both at Florida and at South Carolina, intimately in both cases, in that you were very close to the program and close uh, to the situation. This guy was high, leaves South Carolina last year, is hired at Florida, to be, I don't know, like some sort of ambassador, I guess. And hmm. they named the football field after him. And they're going to honor his 96 team, I believe, this year. Are they not? Yes. Okay, so they're honor the, okay, so they're going to honor the 96 team. And this is a guy who, when he left Florida, goes to Washington and then goes to South Carolina and recruits and plays and tries to beat the Gators in their own division of the Southeastern Conference. Now, I get it. He won a Heisman. But, and I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting Urban to ever get that type of love and adulation that Spurrier got. But I'm wondering if there will ever be a time, because obviously we have an anniversary of, of, his, of his as well in 2006. Is there, is there going to ever be a time where he, where he gets to go to Gainesville and there's a ceremony and the accomplishments of two national titles and the most su successful, you know, in terms of championships run in the history of the program is ever honored? I, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, but – the reality of it is that, you know, because after things went south uh, when he left, you know, obviously the decision was made to bring in Will Muschamp, but Jeremy Foley tried to replace Spurrier with a defensive coordinator who'd never been a head coach, who was on nobody's list for a head coach, and that didn't work out very well with Ron Zook. And so he said, well, this time I'll hire a defensive coordinator who's never been a head coach but is on everybody's list in Muschamp, and it, it worked out a little better but not much better really when it comes to uh, how that went. It just that's not a starter job, and making it a starter job twice was a really bad call by the AD, who normally was smarter than that, uh, <laughs> but because of what happened after. And again, I, I don't think you can blame all of it on Urban Meyer because he didn't hire his replacement because of that, because people watched that offense just be horrible for four years. Uh, and again, 
I'm pretty sure if he talked to Urban Meyer and said, hey, uh, Urban, who should I hire? Urban would have suggested, I don't know, maybe hire somebody who runs a scheme similar to mine as opposed to trying to go pro-style with Charlie Weiss and try and run pro-style blocking with spread linemen. You know, I mean, yeah. so much of this was predictable, and it's not Meyer's fault. doesn't matter. Fans don't care. They just know they watched some horrible offensive football, and a lot of the reason why is perceived to be that, that Meyer billed the way he did. And look, maybe he would have handled everything different if any of us had had any idea Trestle was about to have what happened to him happen. When he left, that wasn't a known commodity. But no. the reality is the way it played out was Urban took a year off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're worried about your family, worried about your health. Oh, just jump into a low-pressure job like Ohio State. Give me a break. <laughs> so, you know, again, a lot of what happened here wasn't his fault, but there are still salty feelings about it. And until Florida gets back to where they were or close to it under him, I think it's just going to be hard for people to get over that. You know what? I want to I want to dwell on that just real briefly. What is the overall image of Urban Meyer in the SEC as a whole right now? Because obviously uh, there is that perception that he kind of cut and run and then just to get his dream job. But on the other hand, he's also come down to the South and and kind of beaten the Golden Boys. So where does he stand on their respectometer? I guess what what do they think of him right now? Uh, I think everybody respects him a great deal as a coach. Uh, Urban is a pretty guarded guy. And I don't think many people feel any warmth for him on a personal level. He, from what I can tell, has been a little bit more open and willing to share a few things about himself as a person up there. But, I mean, he at Florida, he was just a pretty closed-off guy. And unless you were inside that group, you weren't going to get a whole lot of love and warmth out of Urban Meyer. He wasn't a jerk or anything. It just he never really connected with the fan base on a personal level. I mean, that's the thing with Spurrier. Spurrier is also very quirky and can be standoffish, but you can't be around that guy and not come away with some things that are kind of memorable, things he said, just <laughs> the, the weird things he does. Urban Meyer says some things that are interesting, but it's not the kind of thing that you have a great story to tell your friends about. you know. And he, So he's kind of a cipher. I think people respect his ability. Uh, I think people also, though, do view the way that that whole thing went, the, the almost quitting, then the team stinks, and so, okay, now I am quitting, and then, oh, wait, now I'm working for ESPN after I'm spent time with my family. Oh, wait, now I'm the Ohio State coach. I think there's a lot of people that that view him. I don't want to be political, but you know how there are just some people who, no matter what Hillary Clinton does, no matter what she says, they can't, they will not process her, there's just a, a distrust there that they're not going to pay attention, yep. basically. For sure. a good chunk of the Southeast, I think that is how they are right now with Urban Meyer. Respect, but not just very little personal warmth. And, and frankly, even if he says something legit, kind of feeling like, yeah, well, that's what he's saying today. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 it. Yeah, it's really interesting. And Heath, I, I can't tell you he's from – you know the people that were around him on a on a daily basis in Gainesville compared to the time I spent around him at Ohio State. Um, in terms of the football coaching, it's all the same. In terms of the recruiting, it's all the same. Nothing you get like Ohio State fans were worried they were getting like a you know three quarter tank Urban Meyer. They're not. They're getting the full tank Urban. I mean it's the same on that sense. But he has done a better job of separating himself from the job. Um, like when he goes home, he kind of leaves it. And when he he has given that community a lot a much bigger piece of him than he ever did uh in Gainesville 
Um, so I think those things probably, probably also, you, you bring up some great points in terms of, I think he's grown a lot as a dude, you know, in that, in that time. Um, let's move along to, to, to looking at, as we look at the at college football in the big picture sense this year, you know, the, the sense uh, from there's like, maybe there's always like 10 programs. It seems like a wide open year. Um, but we've talked a lot about the teams of the big 10, the sec, you're going to have a team in that playoff from the sec. You may have two. Uh, Bama is the behemoth. I mean, they've Saban has done college football better than anybody's ever done it over the last half decade at Alabama. They're number one, not unanimous, but they're the number one team trying to repeat again. As you look at this Alabama team, we know the talent because we see the recruiting. Another new quarterback situation, uh, but again, it's Saban. He's got to replace Kirby Smart, who's now now at Georgia. Uh, is is this Alabama team on par with the ones we've seen over the last five or six years? Yeah, I, I think they're really good, but at the same time, I, I think there's vulnerability there. I mean, you look at it; they've they've lost games to teams in the past, like an Ole Miss level team. I certainly think a team like that could get them again. I mean, just the fact that when the preseason lines came out both Tennessee and LSU are favored over them. They're not favored by a ton, like one, two points, but still, the fact that they're favored at this point of the year, that says something. Um, you know, maybe they'll be able to keep just every year finding someone who could be at least serviceable at quarterback, never special, and maybe that'll work, but you get the feeling sooner or later maybe that'll be a problem. And you know, there, there is more staff changeover than I think they'd like. Now, Jeremy Pruitt, is a Saban guy, has worked for him before, and so it's not like the defense is going to have a radical change, but uh, Pruitt is also a guy that, frankly, people at, at FSU and then at Georgia both agree uh, really is an irritating guy, uh, just a guy who <laughs> who has a knack for getting under people's skin and being hard to work with. Now, again, maybe much like Lane Kiffin, under Saban, maybe that element will be reined in and he'll just be able to be effective as a football coach. But you still wonder when a guy has, at two pretty darn good football schools, had people not exactly lament his departure in either case. Uh, you do wonder if that could be a factor if, if tough times come along the way. But you know, the, the biggest thing for Bama is just this is a conference that has multiple teams on their schedule that you can make a case why they could be good and uh, really dangerous in LSU and Tennessee. But both have reasons why you can also say, yeah, I don't know about all that. I, I, I have to see it before I'm going to believe that they're ready to actually go and do something big. And then you wonder about some of the other teams and, and whether or not maybe some other teams with potential can put it together this year. Yeah, that's definitely something. I mean, obviously Ohio State fans want Ohio State to be in it every single year. And we always try to look towards the big bads on our schedule and who's going to be coming up. Um but it's interesting. Who are the kind of the sleepers then in the SEC? Uh, a lot of guys that you know maybe people might be overlooking a little bit right now. Uh, the one team that, on raw potential, should be so much better than they have been is Texas A&M. I mean, A&M, uh, someone came in and went, you know, Manziel. There was all that initial hype and everything. The the talent that they put on the field at the skill positions, other than quarterback is remarkable. The offensive line has been a disappointment the last year or so. They brought in a guy who, while involved in an embarrassing episode off the field, still has a proven record of building really solid lines. So if they get their line back in order and Trevor Knight looks like the guy that played at Oklahoma initially as opposed to, uh, look, here, here's the thing. When Katy Perry says, call me, <laughs> you call her. <laughs> And when you don't, you deserve what you get. So you know, <laughs> that is a the good best part was I'm later on. I'm glad you brought that up, Heath, because I'm thinking like 
It's funny. When Susie said his name, that's what I thought of. I remember that vividly. It was in the Grove, wasn't it, when she said that? Yeah. And, and I think people, yeah. People, I think they believe she put a curse on him. They're like, no, she didn't put a curse on him. <laughs> the curse is that he's stupid. I mean, yeah, he's a damn moron. Carries, like, you uh, call her. Call me. You, you, you pick up the phone and you call her and you just see what happens <laughs> Later on, a couple of months later, like, hey, uh, Katie, I'm single. Yeah, dude, sorry. You, you don't get to, once the lottery ticket has expired, you don't get to cash it at that point. So let's assume that Trevor Knight can be pre-Katie Perry uh, as opposed to post-Katie Perry Trevor Knight. If he can, A&M has the skill position, and if they get their line straight with the defensive coordinator, mine and Chavis, they're the team I think could be the most surprisingly dangerous this year. Uh, but but it's really about Tennessee and LSU. Are either one of those teams ready to live up to the hype? And especially Tennessee, I, I don't believe for a second that they are. That's where I was <laughs> going to go next. It's it, you, it, when you're talking about A and M. It's such a strange the way that program, like Sumlin recruited those back that Kyle Allen and all the the other kid who ended up at Oklahoma, whose name escapes me, and like all these five star quarterbacks, and they all transferred out. One ended with their boy Herman at, at Houston, and. Um, just a strange, and then they end up with Trevor Knight, strange program situation, but you brought up Tennessee and that's where I wanted to go because I'm seeing all of this hype for Tennessee. And I just feel like, you know, to me, like every year there's a team out of the sec that's over really overvalued. And the team that jumps to my head was Ole Miss with Jevin Sneed a couple of years ago where they were ranked like fifth or something in the preseason. And then it, you know, it never happened. And to me, Tennessee has that feel of a team that's just really overvalued and maybe they get there a year from now, but they seem a year ahead of schedule to me beyond them in the East. If you, it seems like maybe you agree with that statement and then beyond them in the East, you know, what, what type of cover did Mark Rick live at Georgia? He always had a ton of talent. And is Jim McElwain ready at Florida? In Florida, I think if Florida has a quarterback, Florida could actually be a much bigger threat than people are thinking they are right now. But again, we have no idea if they do. The word on Luke Del Rio is that he knows their offense, and, and that's great, but you still have to be able to physically make the throws. But they, they have enough defensively. that They should still be very good there. They don't need greatness at quarterback, but they do need something at quarterback. And Treon Harris simply is not a quarterback. And so once Will Greer got himself suspended for the PEDs when they were 6-0, and then at that point, that was the end of the line for them, basically, offensively. You just can't win every game trying to play around your quarterback. Um, but so, you know, they've got, they've got Del Rio, and then they've got Appleby, who transferred down from Purdue, who... Yeah, it's hard to judge. You guys know as well as anybody. I mean, Purdue has been such a complete dumpster fire that it's yeah. impossible to judge whether someone could play no, that great. offense. But having said that, he probably doesn't get the first crack. Del Rio does. McElwain has shown if he's got somebody who can play, he'll call a good offensive game. So keep an eye on them. Georgia, the, the word on Georgia is Eason is a stud physically, but Eason is also a kid who – did not in his high school. He was playing for one of those coaches who called every play. He couldn't audible. He was, I mean, he was basically you be the on-field robot, do what you are told. And so the question is, how quickly can you get a guy like that ready with great physical tools to read and respond to SEC defenses? And do they believe he's ready for that right out of the shoot? Even Matthew Stafford at Georgia had to wait a few weeks before he got his shot. Now again, that was a different staff, but. I, I'm not sure we're going to see Easton right away, and if we do, I'm not sure we're we're going to see a guy who's ready for what he's being asked to do right away. So they could be good, but I'd be surprised if they're they're good enough to seriously threaten for a trip to Atlanta this year. Uh, but again, the East—if Tennessee doesn't win the East this year, Tennessee's not going to win the East for 
maybe ever because they've got an experienced quarterback in Dobbs. Uh, they got a much better defensive coordinator bringing in Shoup from Penn State who knows this conference from his time at Vanderbilt. He's very solid. That was a weakness. But the problem is you got Butch Jones. And Butch Jones, it's one thing to make a mistake. It's another to refuse to acknowledge the mistake. Hmm. And when last year Butch Jones against Florida botches the two-point management situation, doesn't go for two at a time he could have gone for two, there was no benefit to attempting a one, he doesn't realize it. After the game, you lose because you didn't even attempt the two. There's other things, but that was one clearly discernible decision you made that was wrong. Own it. And instead, you're like, no, no, you, you guys don't get it. Everyone who understood football got it. He wasn't willing to admit it. You're talking about a guy that routinely turns purple on the sidelines, uh, just loses composure. I, I, He's just tight, and I just don't believe in that guy being able in clutch situations to handle himself. And the fact that he's trying to go with Mike DeBoer as his offensive coordinator, uh, if this was 1996, that'd be a great call. But it's not. <laughs> and that doesn't sound like a great plan to me. So, uh, I, you know, Butch Jones has a team that should win the East and should threaten. Butch Jones has a team that will probably go about 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three because Butch Jones is coaching. <laughs> I'll t- let me. I'll get you out of here on this one, Heath. Out and because again, you're our South Bureau Chief, not just our SEC Bureau Chief. Um, are Clemson and Florida State outside of Bama the two best teams in the South? Ah, boy. You know what, Clemson. Yes, I don't know about FSU, and particularly I don't know about FSU because of what's going on with the quarterback situation. Right. Because first McGuire gets injured, and then they've had to suspend the kid Malik Henry that was the backup. So now you're basically down to one guy and DeAndre Francois, who one of the things that's supposed to be special about him is his running ability. Well, if you don't have McGuire or Henry available, then can you really take advantage of that running ability? It feels like you kind of need to try and protect him and not have him doing that too often, at least until you get one of those guys back. And with Ole Miss in the opener, with Louisville pretty early in the season, and, and a pretty good chance that they don't have either of those guys back by then, that makes me wonder about that. And again, maybe he's ready as a redshirt freshman. Maybe he's not. They don't have any choice. So if I knew what their quarterback situation was going to be for these early games and it was better, I might think that they could be in. But right now, I'd lean LSU and then FSU after them. It's funny. All my guys down there think they're just banking on them beating Ole Miss like 10-7. <laughs> like just the defense and Dalvin Cook. They just think that try to win 10-7. Like just get out of there. <laughs> well, I, mean, I know they're really excited about Francois. And, you know, he may turn out to be – awesome but yeah. like i say you know just that limits them so much on what they can do and i'm really curious to see how jimbo handles it heath klein 107.5 the game if you want a little taste of the sec and and kind of the pulse of what's going on down there check out his program i do highly recommend it he's a great friend and uh knows the sec as good as anybody that i know and uh we do appreciate you stopping by thanks bud all right, from there, um, you know, we usually try to finish up the show with a little bit of fun, but uh, just admiration is what I'm going to do yeah. for, for Kyle Snyder, the Buckeye wrestler who wins a gold freaking medal. I think I read first time since Mike Smith that a guy has held the titles of uh, college champion, world champion, and Olympic champion at the same time. I mean, it's just unbelievable. nuts. I mean, just another worldly accomplishment for a kid, man. Like, he's fighting these men. He's wrestling these men. He's a kid. I'm not a wrestling guy. I don't like it. I don't like to watch it. But I have tremendous admiration for those that do it because I don't know a sport that's tougher than that. Um, yeah. But, God, that was cool to watch him do that, buddy. It really was. I was pretty glued to it. 
the conditioning is unbelievable that you have to be in. I mean, he did all those fights within about a five hour period. Um, the way he fought against guys who, like you said, are, are way older than he is, way more experienced. He just dominated everybody. He got behind 4 0 and 1. I was like, that's it. Came back, won it pretty, just chipped it away. Uh, and he's the first, I think, Ohio State uh, wrestling gold medalist, or maybe just Ohio State gold medalist, period, in like 80 years, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, hats off to that guy. He's he's unbelievable. Absolutely. He really is. He's, uh, it was awesome. It was a very proud moment. I was, it was awesome to watch. Uh, we, we have ask us anything, right? We're going to, we got to do it. Yeah. Real quick. We're going to get some ask us any questions you guys asked. So we're going to answer, uh, dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast on Twitter. First one's from Asian chipmunk who implores us to stay lit. Um, <laughs> I'm so old. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, I, well, I think he started a question and then came up with a different one. So what okay. happens first, a man on Mars or a Michigan national championship? Oh, Michigan national championship. Yeah. I feel like yeah. they got an outside shot this year and their defense is going to be terrifying. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they actually ended up in the, the college playoffs, the playoffs this year. Cause I, I think Carbaugh's there urban. I mean, yeah. it's going to be tough because he's got to deal with Urban and Urban when he first got to Ohio State didn't have to deal with Harbaugh. I mean, it was yeah, he's got a head start. The road's more difficult, but uh, Brady did a decent job of recruiting. The cupboard is not bare, and he'll do a nice job in recruiting. And um, I think we're a long ways from Mars. This is more of an indictment on how far we are from <laughs> Mars than we are. You know what I mean? Than we than it yeah. is like an endorsement that's of. True. I, think uh, that's really I keep thinking you keep bringing up Tommy Boy. I just keep imagining Brady Hoke and David Spade selling, you know, brake pads in the back God. of the car. That's just anyway. buddy, for whatever. I can't get that out of my head. Like the whole, every time I interview him, he just seemed like little Tommy Callahan no, trying to great. sell me brake pads. Like that's who I, well, who he was to me. Yep. All right. So next one here, this is for you. Uh, if Zar Jason finally gives his new employees their benefits right. that they deserve, which right. 11 warriors dry good shirt would you choose? Personally? It's the Sherman one is the one I would want. Okay. I can't believe I don't have it already. It's a shame. <laughs> um, I when I named him Czar Jason, I went. I thought initially I would go the CZ form of Czar, but I'm going to go TS now. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go TS for, for spelling of Czar for Jason. Czar Jason. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's the Sherman one. I think it's probably you know I already have the um, I've got the Ohio flag one, which I like. Oh, good. I, I love the Ohio flag. It's so cool. I yeah, think that and the nice. Texas flag are the two coolest flags in the union. Um, so, you know, we can we've got two, we got, I got the cool flag one, but it's time, it's time to get some swag. It's time to make it happen. Uh, it's good that the people are listening and causing for calling for change. I mean, this is a movement now, Johnny. I mean, they, they want some swag to be headed my way. It's the least the czar can do. So we'll At see. At the very least Alvin has your back. However, he did go with the CZ spelling. So I don't, which one know. do you prefer? I, you know, it depends. I, I think it depends on the concept, uh, on the, on the context, but I'm a big I'm a big CZ fan, honestly. I like the like the old kind of spellings. All right, let's let's move on here. We got this from BGSU Bucks fan. Uh, number one, more receiving yards this year, Mike Thomas or Noah Brown? Different context, but Mike Thomas at, yeah. in New Orleans because I think they'll pitch and catch it. He gets 16 games to play in, so just by sheer playing more games and the style of offense they'll run. Ohio State, I think, will run a lot of. I mean, they're going to run the offense they run. I don't think you're going to have a fifth, you know. A, 1100 yard receiver at Ohio state this year. Um, that's a great question. That's an interesting one, but my initial inclination is Mike Thomas. Agree. I, I think just because of where he's playing and the fact that he's going to be more of part of an offense than Noah Brown, just in general, 
yeah, I go with that. Uh, number two, and I don't. This is not for me because I don't play fantasy. But how high yeah. would you take Zeke in fantasy uh, on your team? I take my fantasy very seriously. I. <laughs> I, I try not to be bullish on rookie running backs because it just doesn't seem to <laughs> like work. You know, like it rarely works. Um, right. I I don't know. It feels to me like Ezekiel Elliott is like a borderline first round pick at running back. Okay, that's what it feels like. I feel like he's an end of the first. If you're in a ten team league, twelve team league, he's an end of the first round, top of the second round running back. I mean, they've got a great offensive line, great weapons, great quarter. I mean. If Romo can stay healthy, I mean, I could see Zeke getting 1,500 yards. So, to me, he's a a late first, early second, uh, which is tremendous because you never take rookie running backs that high, never. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody who has been going to those preseason games in Dallas are like, man, everybody's wearing the Zeke jerseys. Like, they're they're fully locked and loaded for that guy. Uh, Last one here, number of backup quarterbacks used this year, 0, 1, 2, or 10? Uh. I think that the key to that question is used in meaningful snaps. Okay. Yes. Let's, 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 let's use that modifier for that question. Well, listen, no urban Meyer coach team has ever got through a season without a quarterback being banged up (laughs) at some point. He just requires so much of them and they get hit. So for sure you'll see one and that'll be interesting to see because there was talk that Joey, Joey Ohio is getting pushed a little bit um, Mm -hmm. for that backup job. So, for sure so that's why we talked we talked about that last week on the on the pod that's yeah, a little an, bit. that's an important thing for me is that that's got to be because someone's going to take some meaningful snaps because jt's going to get banged up um you know so he's you know somebody's going to take meaningful snaps so at the very least one one player be, beside jt barrett will take meaningful snaps for ohio state at the very least I'm going to say one. I, I think JT might maybe a little older, a little wiser, know how to take those hits a little better. Uh, I agree, though. At some point, he is going to have to to sit down for a little bit. So he's I'm going to say slide, one, doesn't he? He's got yeah, slide. I mean... he's just that's where we're at. I mean, I'm sorry, but like <laughs> everything that I'm basing Fair. this on, including the money I've put on this team to to, to go over on the win total, is based yeah. on JT playing in every game. So damn it, JT, slide. Yep, get down, dude. So that's it. Those are the questions. Let's ask us anything. And it's game week next week, buddy. That's right. We've got to put our hats on or helmets on. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm I'm fading a little bit, but I will say that uh, I am extremely excited for this. I'm really, I just, I need football in my veins, man. Like I can't, Coming. I can't go any longer without it. Can't yeah, I'm with nothing. you. I'm done. It's, it's go time. I'm tired of preseason. I'm tired of the nonsense. It's time to do some football. And next week we'll get to talk about it. Uh, he, he is Johnny G. I am merely Bo Bishop. We hope you enjoyed the program. We'll be back next week. See ya.